This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. Hello friends, this is your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. Welcome to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. I'm just gonna start off by saying that there are five psychiatric epidemics, depression, pain, anxiety, addiction, and post-traumatic stress disorder. The traditional model of treating these, these disorders is psychotherapy and subtype of psychotropic medicine, either in combination or as a monotherapy. While this is proven to be a successful model, there are some people who are non-responders to these particular approaches. Luckily, there's been the emergence of psychedelic medicine and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy to help fill a gap of people who may not respond due to some barriers or obstacles for them achieving breakthroughs or um, resolving um, issues in these areas and in these psychiatric disorders. In this episode, I welcome on an expert in this area, Dr. Erica Zelfand, who is a licensed family physician, naturopathic physician out of the Portland, Oregon area. She is the mastermind behind a course called The Science of Psychedelics, which is an online training course for healthcare providers and empowered individuals alike. She is a medical writer, teacher, psychedelic facilitation instructor, and she consults with clients and professionals across the globe speaking about the science of psychedelic medicine. In this episode, she walks us through sort of a 101 on psychedelic medicine, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. We speak about NMDA, psilocybin, ketamine. We speak about the mechanisms and how these work on the brain to help people with neuroplasticity, with um, developing uh, the ability to make changes in their life um, and addresses some of these core areas of psychiatric illness. So I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Um, Dr. Zelfin is just a wealth of information. She's really fun to talk with. And uh, without further ado, we'll join the episode in session. Dr. Zelfin, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. I'm so glad to be speaking with you today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, so um, I'd love to sort of talk about this really interesting subject and just kind of lay the land for today's discussion. Um, but before we do that, um, can you just tell me a little bit about how you got into psychedelic medicine and um, just a little bit about your background that led you to, to um, specialize in this area? Sure. I, I will say I didn't so much choose psychedelic medicine as I feel psychedelic medicine shows me. I, right. uh, I went to medical school at the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. And um, when I was considering medical schools, 
I briefly considered becoming a conventional allopathic physician and, and pretty quickly ruled that out. And was like, no, I just, I just want to work on a, on a deeper plane with people and was really, really blessed uh, when, I, when I learned about naturopathic medicine. And my whole time that I was at NUNM in medical school, I really thought that I was there to become a specialist in women's health and pediatrics. That was just, you know, my, my Northern star. That's what I did uh, a lot of my rotations in and extra mentorship. Um, I did a residency in family medicine and I even did four years of postdoctoral training in pediatrics with an MD pediatrician. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and then I got out into practice and I hung my shingle and I, you know, did my Google AdWords, women's health pediatrics. And I don't know what, what wires got cross, crossed out there <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in the cosmos, but my practice ended up being full of people with depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, addictions of all kinds, um, trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and, and, or just, you know, what I'm just going to call general malaise and just general existential unhappiness that mm-hmm. may or may not have a clinical label for it. And, um, you know, as naturopathic physicians, we have this wonderful training in integrative medicine. So I had this, this wonderful toolkit in the conventional medical model, you know, pharmaceuticals, um, anxiolytics, antidepressant medications. Um, and I want to say those medications, they get a really bad rap um, because we, we, we often talk about how 30% of individuals are what we call treatment resistant. They don't respond to antidepressant medication. is a lot, but if we look at the flip side of that, 70% of people do Mm -hmm. (laughs) improve with those medications. So I just want to make it very clear as we're deep diving into the world of psychedelics here, in no way am I saying that there is not a place for conventional pharmaceutical treatment. I... I prescribe those meds uh, for some people, they are, they are wonderful and, and they help people increase their window of tolerance so that they're able to engage more meaningfully in their treatment and actually get better faster. Right. But about 30% of people don't respond to those. And in naturopathic medicine, you know, we, we can look at nutrition, we can look at hormones, um, we can look at all different kinds of genetics, you know, we can, uh, environmental exposures, all these different factors that play into Uh, mental health. But what I was finding was that there was this layer of just like a psycho-spiritual layer that it didn't matter how much I propped somebody up on neurotransmitter support Mm -hmm. or how good their hormones were. If there was some kind of an imbalance in that psycho-spiritual layer, we were only going to get so far. And Mm. homeopathy is a beautiful healing system for getting to that layer. I'm just going to out myself here. I'm not a very good homeopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, you know, I got really good training in school and I did the New England School of Homeopathy. Just want to give a great shout out to Paul Herskew and Amy Rothenberg, brilliant homeopaths. Yeah. And um, a brilliant homeopath, I am not. <laughs> I'm, pretty, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, you know, advanced beginner, I would say. Um, and so there was just this layer that I just, I couldn't get, I just couldn't access it. Cause I'm only so good at homeopathy. Right. Um, and so, um, and you know, as often happens in healing healer, heal thyself, you know, my own personal healing journey was unfolding as I was 
um, this fledgling healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. And it became pretty clear to me that, hey, this is psychedelic medicine is something I, I need to take a look at here. Um, there, there's really some merit to this. Um, and so that led to going to more conferences. It led to volunteering with the Zendo Project and Whitebird. These are organizations that um, do quote unquote trip sitting at festivals mm -hmm. um, and just reading, just going into PubMed and dorking out <laughs> on studies. Right. Um, and then before I knew it, all of a sudden I, uh, I was creating a whole course and, and training other people on how to be uh, facilitators of psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of a, the not the not so quick nutshell of how, well, how we got to where I am now. That's really interesting. I'd like to kind of take a slice of that process and those steps and just kind of kind of uh, see if I can interject just to have some questions. So you went from learning about it to teaching. Um, and then I imagine there was like moments where you, you, and you had patients that you previously had kind of reached the limit of your therapeutic offerings that you were able to see new progress or maybe a more holistic treatment through this, um, these modalities is, was there, were there some kind of eye-opening cases that just kind of took you from student to teacher? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there, there's this saying, you know, all, all things are connected. And, um, I, you know, I, I will say I was raised in Boston. I, I hate that saying. I think it's, what do you mean? Oh, don't be ridiculous. All things are not connected. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and what my, what my patients and clients have taught me is that maybe not everything is connected, but a heck of a lot more is connected than we think it is. Sure. And, you know, we, we uh, the, some of us experience traumas, you know, capital T traumas, but all of us experience little traumas. There's just this trauma of living and the, the, the bizarre and beautiful ways in which we adapt and maladapt and these patterns that we carry with us you know, sub psycho-spiritually, subconsciously, mm -hmm. and the role that that can play on our physical health. And so some, so a real turning point for me when, when I went from, you know, teacher to student was when people started reporting back that not only was their mental health better and their life satisfaction better, but their physical health was improving. Chronic pain conditions were dissipating mm -hmm. um headaches were going away painful menses were going away sex was becoming better autoimmune diseases were going into remission mm -hmm. really really powerful shifts and then also insights you know insights it's no wonder i got cancer i've been walking around with x y and z my whole life and mm -hmm. you know finally got to the root of that and resolved that and only now do i feel like I actually have a shot at recovery. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really fascinating. I always find that like the, uh, you know, when you've been practicing in the, this field for long enough is like you reach a point where your desire to help people makes you need to learn, you know, kind of more advanced modalities. And, you know, if you kind of, reach a point of, of uh, how far you can help people, it, it's a source of disappointment or frustration. And, you know, that it, and often it leads to discovering 
new ways to, um, to kind of break through some of those barriers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and some, some things, especially when, if there's an energetic component Mm -hmm. or a subconscious component to an illness or at at the risk of sounding a little out there, an ancestral component Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to a condition, you know, those things are stubborn. And, and sometimes you do need to go into the, to the world of your ancestors or to the world of the, the realm of the spirit. Yeah. Um, just on a different plane, just to, 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 to make that shift. You know, I, I actually recently saw a client who um, lost her son. Uh, her son died when he was 27 years old. Mm-hmm. And her sister also lost her son when her mm-hmm. son was 27 years old. Mm-hmm. And their, their mother lost a son when that son was 27 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you, what do you do with that? You know, what, what amino acid <laughs> or vitamin do you take for that? Right. You know, you, you don't, <laughs> Yeah. you don't, it's futile. You know, that that's, that's powerful. Yeah. That's, 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 you need to, you need to get a, get a little shamanic with that one. Right. I you mean, want to break that cycle. Things, you know, things beyond reason, right. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're things that like, there's no way you can explain it with, with our current just sort of left brain, right brain modalities, you kind of have to go to a, a different level. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So that's that's really interesting. So let's let's kind of go into the psychedelic medicine field. Like, why did why is it emerging? What problem is it solving? Um, I mean, you you sort of talked about it already, but I'd love just to kind of hear yeah. your your sort of state of the the field. Like, why why are we here today? Right. Yeah. Why psychedelics? Why now? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we almost, <laughs> we almost had a psychedelic movement. We did have a psychedelic movement in the sixties and seventies, but it sort of petered out um, for, for a myriad of reasons. Um, and so what, what we're in right now is a Renaissance where we have picked up where um, Timothy Leary left, <laughs> left off. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and, and rather than starting like a, a threatening counterculture grassroots movement, although that is happening as well, there is also this above board, evidence-based, scientific focused angle. Um, and so I think part of why we're seeing more mileage now is, you know, science and medicine are the religions of our culture. And now this medicine is speaking this religion. Mm-hmm. You know, being, mm-hmm. we're, 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 we have science, we have people who have suits with short hair. <laughs> Mm-hmm. conducting studies on this stuff but <laughs> i think the reason that it's speaking so so strongly to us now is that we are in a mental health epidemic mm-hmm. we are in a absolute crisis point depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide mm-hmm. depression oh, yeah you know how long have we been a hum- humans like how long has, has the human race been here depression is the number one cause of our disability Mm. and the tools we have are good but they're blunt tools and they don't for many individuals they don't go deep enough Mm -hmm. and therapy is wonderful but some people need more than 50 minutes once a week you know Mm -hmm. to really to really unpack years and years and years Mm -hmm. of maladaptation to trauma Mm -hmm. And also uh, pain, right? The, the kind of the 
the recent opioid epidemic and uh -huh. sort of the, the need for other pain alternatives, that's, I imagine that's part of how psychedelics have emerged. Oh, absolutely. And, and we know that chronic pain has actually very little to do with what's happening in peripherally in the body. So for example, if you know, someone has chronic pain in their shoulder, um, there may actually be nothing really wrong with their shoulder. There mm. may have been an injury once upon a time, but chronic pain, it, it becomes like this nasty habit in the brain um, where the brain sort of gets stuck on a, on a firing pattern of registering pain when they're, mm -hmm. when they're actually may not need to be. And so a lot of the conditions that, that, that people face today, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, addictions, chronic pain, these reflect stubborn firing patterns in the nervous system where mm -hmm. the nervous system picks up a bad habit and then it repeats that bad habit. The more you practice a bad habit, the easier it becomes to do that bad habit. Right. So, you know, when, when I was a teenager, my bad habit was like, I said, like every other word, <laughs> you know, and the more I did it, the more I did it. Right. So it's just this, this stereotyped pattern of, of behavior that happens with a lot of these conditions. And so what we know about psychedelics is they temporarily disorganize the brain. Mm -hmm. So they interrupt those stereotyped patterns of behavior in the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems the standard model for some of these conditions is you pair some type of um, SSRI or SNRI or MAO inhibitor with counseling. Mm -hmm. And I imagine like when those two, what from my understanding is when those, that combo doesn't work, it's often can be due to sort of the inability to get to deeper places in the that yeah. process and yes you kind of also relive memories that could be painful to even talk about even with a trusting a trusted counselor um, absolutely so absolutely can we can we go into sort of the overview of the the various therapies that are being used right now and just kind of just sort of like a brief description of what they are sure um, like a meet and greet <laughs> exactly <laughs> the, the MVPs I will I mean, say if there's are, people from yeah. the 60s listening to this I mean they they definitely right. are familiar with like LSD that that's right and yeah. uh you know but yeah. yeah some of the the other therapies I think you know just to kind of introduce our, our audience and everybody to sort of sure uh, yeah, well, I will say that what I'm what I'm going to be sharing is in no way an exhaustive list because mm -hmm. there are so many compounds <laughs> and mm -hmm. such little time. Um, I will mention the book PCAL and the book TCAL. So um, PCAL stands for phenethylamines I have known and loved. And then TCAL is tryptamines I have known and loved. Those are by Alexander and Anne Shulgin. And those are really, really uh, interesting books. They also include recipes for many psychedelic compounds that I hadn't even heard of before mm -hmm. <laughs> I read these books. So, so there are a myriad of psychedelics. I'm not going to talk about all of them. I will kind of talk about the ones that are like in the news that we're seeing a lot of emerging studies on. Sure. Um, 
the first one I'll mention, just because we just had a study this month in Nature, a phase three clinical trial, is MDMA, methylene dioxymethamphetamine. That is uh, the medicine that is Sometimes people think that they are taking, they may or may not be taking it when they use the street drugs, ecstasy or Molly. And MDMA has shown incredible promise specifically in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. That is where MDMA really shines. Now, are there other indications for MDMA? Absolutely. Couples therapy is, is very high on that list. Um, and MDMA was uh, resynthesized by Alexander Shulgin. Um, it was then used by Leo Zeff and Ann Shulgin and other counselors and therapists in therapy. They were seeing remarkable results with this. But then what we had in 1985 we, in the U United States, we had the crack cocaine epidemic. And then there was very, this very, very, very hard line drawn about drug use and the war on drugs ramped up. You know, we had this was the, the, the Reagan administration. We had the Nancy Reagan just say no. And MDMA was moved to schedule one. Schedule one drugs are drugs that have no accepted medical use and are illegal. Mm -hmm. And MDMA was moved to schedule one despite the fact that there had not, as of yet, not been any studies on that molecule, and that several psychotherapists testified in support of its use in therapy. Mm -hmm. um, so thankfully, there was a, a delightfully stubborn guy by the name of Rick Doblin, PhD, who wanted to fight that. And he started the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies in, I believe it was 1986. Um, People know that as, as MAPS, right? MAPS, MAPS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And since then, uh, Rick Doblin and the folks at MAPS have been working just tirelessly on uh, raising money, funding studies, gathering clinical data on MDMA. And it's really thanks to them that we have the clinical trials that we have. The FDA has also recently approved the expanded access program, meaning that some individuals can now even receive MDMA outside of a clinical trial. Mm -hmm. So I think it will not be very long before we actually see MDMA rescheduled and before that medicine becomes legal. Mm. Okay. And just for context, um, as we're going through these different mm -hmm. um, therapies, most of these, the administration of this, and we'll talk about this later, is these are, when you're talking about this, this is sort of done in a setting where you have either a guide or a spiritual leader, or even someone who's a counselor or two counselors. It's kind of, these are, this is being used in a context of when you, when you're under the guidance of a professional, right? That's correct. Yes. So, so the, the data we have on MDMA, it's not MDMA. So I, I actually, I'm going to correct myself here. It's MDMA assisted psychotherapy. Gotcha. Okay. So <laughs> what the M MDMA does is it's, it's almost like anesthesia in the sense that it allows you to dig and get to that painful part that needs to be healed. Um, parts that may otherwise be too guarded um, or painful to access. Uh, in regular talk therapy. And so we see this in individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of them can't engage in therapy because when they try to access the memory, 
they re-trigger themselves, re-traumatize themselves. You can actually make someone with PTSD worse mm -hmm. if you don't know what you're doing. Um, MDMA, it, and I just want to make it clear, by no means is it fun <laughs> for yeah. these individuals to do this session. There are a lot of tears. Um, sometimes there's yelling, sometimes there's hitting, emotional releases. The MDMA makes it possible to do that work. Mm -hmm. And for individuals that frankly could not do that work otherwise. Mm -hmm. I've heard it described that it um, sort of tones down the amygdala, but supports mm -hmm. the pre prefrontal cortex. Is that a fair mm -hmm. Yes. Like yes. Basic description. It, I'm sure there's mm -hmm, much more yep. technicalities to that, but it tur it turns down the fear response, and it also floods the brain with oxytocin, which is oh. like that bonding love hormone. Yeah. Um, right. So it it and it has this nice combination of calming the person down, so it calms down their like anxiety and defenses, but it also stimulates the person without making them too edgy, and mm. that puts the individual in what's called the optimal arousal zone, meaning. Mm. They want to lean forward and engage and heal the thing mm. without getting overstimulated. They're relaxed enough to not get overstimulated, but they're engaged enough to actually want to do the healing. Yeah, that makes a ton yeah. of sense because, you know, like there's so much body memory with trauma, right? Yeah, yeah, that yes. If you feel those sensations, it might just shut you down. And Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful molecule. It's a, you you just you you could you could not I could not think of a better molecule to use as a lubricant for psychotherapy. Wow. Yeah, it's just this it what what you can accomplish in one, two, or three. In the studies, it's a maximum of three sessions. Hmm. It was something that would take years, if not decades, of chipping away at in regular talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Any downside that you you tell people about before they sign up for um, MDA? Well, yeah, people. Well, people can't sign up quite yet unless they're in a trial. But mm -hmm. you know, the, the downside is, uh, yeah, pe people tend to feel pretty crummy for about a week after they do MDMA. Mm -hmm. There's a big, big, uh, you know, activity at the serotonin receptors. Um, so people tend to feel, uh, you know, maybe fine the next day, but the following day or the day after they may feel tired or like they're coming down with the flu or they mm -hmm. may feel really sad, kind of blue. Um, mm. and typically people bounce back within two weeks, uh, supplementing with 5-HTP and other, um, supplements, um, and antioxidants can help. Um, and MDMA, you know, is absolutely contraindicated with anything that affects serotonin levels. So that, that means SSRIs, if people are on uh, an SSRI antidepressant, they, they should not be doing MDMA assisted psychotherapy. They could put themselves in, in, in real, real harm. And, you know, MDMA, the A in MDMA stands for amphetamine. So like, let's not kid ourselves. This yeah. is an amphetamine. So a lot of the negative side effects have to do with that amphetamine edge, like me, like the kind of the like jaw clenching, you know, feeling mm -hmm. like, you know, in increases in blood pressure, increases in heart rate. Um, gotcha. That, that, that's, that's the amphetamine. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the, the un unfortunate part of the molecule. I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, what other kind of go to next in your kind of in your process? Um, like yeah, I would, I would say let's, um, let's talk about psilocybin because it was recently okay. legalized in Oregon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to think of like what's in the news here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so psilocybin, we don't have all that many studies on LSD in recent years. Um, 
we have more on psilocybin. And part of that is because LSD just binds that uh, 5-HT2A receptor so darn tightly. And an L- anyone that's taken an LSD can tell you it lasts a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, often when, I, when I'm volunteering at festivals, supporting people having a difficult time on, on a trip, nine times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, it's someone who's on LSD. And mm-hmm. they're like, it's been 10 hours. I'm still tripping. I feel like I broke my brain. I'm mm-hmm. stuck like this forever. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, no, 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 sweetie. LSD can last up to 14 hours. Uh, you, you took a drug and the drug is working exactly how it's supposed to. So let's mm-hmm. get you some juice and um, smart supplies because you're going to be <laughs> here for a while. So psilocybin, on the other hand, uh, less than eight hours, typically five hours. Um, And so uh, psilocybin uh, was recently legalized in the state of Oregon uh, in the context of psilocybin-assisted therapy. So again, not just the medicine itself, but within the context of therapy. Um, And it has shown wonderful promise in the treatment of depression, Uh, depression and anxiety. And uh, also in, we have some preliminary studies in smoking cessation as well. Mm-hmm. And the psilocybin, you know, I, I've looked a little bit into the mechanism. I've seen some stuff about um, brain-derived neurotropic factor mm-hmm. um, and some of the other areas it works on. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because sure. that, that one's big in the depression world these days. Um, because, it is big. Mm-hmm. Because of its just ability for you to sort of um, access resources in your brain and memories, positive, positive feelings. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, I just want to give a shout out to Dr. Robin Carhart Harris, who is a researcher in the UK. A lot of what we know about psilocybin and LSD's uh, mechanisms have to do with his uh, work in recent years in which he has just performed brain scans, uh, fMRIs of people at baseline. And then while they're tripping. So, and so based on on that data, what we know, we know a a few things, actually. One way in which these classic psychedelics work is they, as I was saying before, they interrupt those bad habits of the brain. Mm. So certain conditions are associated with too much rigidity, too much order in the brain, you know, depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety, OCD, addictions, you know, compulsive behaviors like that. That's too much order in the brain. Mm-hmm. At the far end of the other end of the spectrum, you know, we have schizophrenia, we have mania. That's, that's too much chaos. That's not mm-hmm. what we're talking about here, right? And this is why classic psychedelics may be contraindicated in individuals with a history of psychosis. Mm-hmm. But for people that have too much rigidity, I will also include this is not a clinical diagnosis. Some people are just squares, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're just, they're just kind of like, like lighten like up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no joy de vivre. There's the, and there's, and, and we also see this, it's like a lack of brain plasticity that happens in individual. And this is me. I'm, I'm just running with my own idea here. Um, there's like this lack of plasticity that happens with people as they age. And then we mm-hmm. have like grumpy old man syndrome, right? Yeah. Like that is rigidity. Mm-hmm. And so what psilocybin, LSD, other substances that are you know, considered the classic psychedelics do is they interrupt that rigidity mm-hmm. for a period of however long that drug lasts. It's not for your whole life. 
-hmm. But in, in that time and space of like, let's say you lined up the marbles in a, in a perfect row, right? And then psilocybin comes and like, you know, knocks them off the table and makes a big mess. And, mm -hmm. in, and in that time of having your brain disorganized, your brain um, can start breaking its, its habits and it can start learning new tricks. And a part of how it learns new tricks is we have an increase in something called crosstalk. Mm -hmm. So what that means is parts of the brain that don't normally talk to one another, start talking to one another. Mm -hmm. And this is part of why we have the, the dreamlike visualizations. They're not hallucinations. People refer to these substances as hallucinogens, and that's wrong. You don't hallucinate on these substances typically. Yeah. But you, you may see have vivid imagery in your mind's eye or when you close your eyes. And that could be because different parts of the brain are suddenly communicating with the visual cortex, right? And this is why we also see synesthesia, why, you know, the sun can taste like purple and smell like Miles Davis, right? When, mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're on LSD. Um, but, you know, th those kind of fun, entertaining changes aside, your brain can also suddenly form an entirely new relationship with how you talk to your sister or... Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe it's time to forgive this person. Or maybe it's time to call this person to accountability. Or maybe it's time to make a change in this way. Maybe it's time to open my heart in this way. Mm -hmm. um, and and on, a, on, a, on a physical level, um, I, I'll share the story of Paul Stamets, who is a wonderful mycologist. He actually spoke at my med school graduation. He was a keynote speaker. Um, He's called the fun, the fun guy, right? The, yeah, the fun guy. He, he wears a, a hat that's made out of a giant mushroom. Um, <laughs> he, um, he used to stutter. And it was on his first trip with psilocybin um, that he, his stutter was cured. He hasn't stuttered wow. since. Right? And so what's a stutter? That's a bad neural habit. Mm -hmm. Right? So, um, and part of how that, that, that bad neural habit gets broken um, is... Um, there are some structures in the brain. They are not structurally connected, but they're functionally connected. And collectively, they're known as the default mode network, the DMN. And the DMN in certain conditions like depression and OCD, the DMN is, is, is too active. And psychedelics turn down DMN activity temporarily. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the safety profile of psilocybin, any Excellent. Yeah. Excellent safety profile. Yes. Uh, there is no known lethal dose of psilocybin, uh, nor of LSD. Neither are neurotoxic. Um, you'll definitely flip out if you take, <laughs> take mm -hmm. too much. Yeah. Um, uh, psilocybin typically, you know, um, not hundred percent of the time typically combines well with antidepressants. So this is another thing that I actually really appreciate about this medicine. Um, is that if an individual is on an antidepressant, um, they may not have to taper off. Now, that being said, psilocybin works, seems to work better if you are off of an antidepressant, mm -hmm. but it's st it still can help. Um, we do have this very, very rare condition that has been reported um, where, where people kind of have the flashbacks Mm. Um, the, the, uh, um, hallucinogen, uh, I don't even remember the name of it because it's so rare, <laughs> Yeah, like but, but, uh, hallucinogen, a persistent perception disorder. Mm. Um, and it's, it's where people kind of temporarily get taken 
back into kind of the more superficial layers of a trip, not so not necessarily the emotional quality mm -hmm. of it. Um, it is very rare, but it is a thing. Um, we don't really know too much about it. Um, more research is warranted there, but it has not been observed in any case of anyone who has um, been in a clinical trial or used this, these medicines therapeutically. It seems to be associated with recreational use. Okay. And so you're saying it's now legalized in the state of Oregon. So that doesn't mean like doctor calls a prescription into Walgreens, right? It's, no, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. So no. what, what's the, um, like, what's the process these days to um, sure. authorize to, to use it or prescribe it? Well, we just, we just passed it in Oregon in November of 2020. And now the state of Oregon has two years to figure out how the heck they're going to administer this new okay. program. <laughs> so in two, in two years time, um, you will be willing to, uh, excuse me, you will be able to go to a uh, facility that mm -hmm. has some kind of a, a permission slip or a certificate from the state that is a psilocybin therapy facility. Um, meet with a facilitator, have a session of talk therapy or, or an intake um, and see if you're a candidate, mm -hmm. um, come back or it could be the same day, actually take the medicine and you take the medicine on site with the facilitator present with you. You do not get to take the medicine home. Mm -hmm. You take the medicine on site. You are supervised while you're there. And then you go home and then you're invited mm. to come back for at least one integration session. Mm. And something that's, that's quite interesting about Oregon's program that I love, but that is very controversial mm -hmm. is you do not have to have a diagnosis. Okay. So you could just come into one of these centers and say, hi, I'm in perfect health. And I'm just really curious about this medicine. And I'd love to have a mystical experience if I may. Right. Like for like personal development or exactly growth, self-spiritual growth or something along exactly. those lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you know, with the emphasis on like brain nootropics and brain performance and people really learning a lot about how their brain works. Um, it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense that there shouldn't have to be a, you know, kind of medical diagnosis to, to safely practice, um, or exper experience, um, assisted therapy with psilocybin. Yeah. Yeah. To have a spiritual or mystical experience. Yeah. You know? I mean, some people are doing this anyways, like by, go, you know, either by just experimenting by themselves or they're going on trips various to like, you know, Mexico or Peru or other places. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and we, we recently passed another law in Oregon. It was ballot measure 110, which actually decriminalized pretty much all drugs. So now, you know, it's not legal, but it's not illegal. An individual in Oregon can have, I believe, up to 12 grams of dried mushrooms mm -hmm. in their possession. And the worst thing that'll happen is uh, you have to pay a hundred dollars. Oh, so, okay. yeah. So, so um, you know, that, that's good news and bad news. It, it means that, that, a, that a beautiful age old medicine um, is now, you know, no longer criminalized, but it also means that some people are kind of just trying it at home um, and results may vary, you know? <laughs> right. Um, you know, when you blow open your consciousness and, and uh, you know, open the cellar door to your, to your subconscious and your psyche, um, stuff can get intense. It can get yeah. weird. Um, yeah, and, and so, so it, makes me, uh, it makes me nervous, to be honest. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we went through a similar thing when um, cannabis was legalized, but maybe on a lower, lesser scale, but it was, but, you know, it seems, it's really interesting to see what surfaced is that even to this day, um, experts are sought after to help people make decisions and safely, you know, kind of use CBD and use it in the way that's um, directed towards, or cannabis, I should say, in the way that's yeah. directed to their their therapeutic goals. So absolutely, um, but there's this side, kind of awkward... side note. Yeah, a side note. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that NDs cannot write for medical marijuana cards. Like, uh, hello, we actually know about botanical medicine. Right, right. <laughs> like, I gotta... Like I, I can prescribe OxyContin to somebody in Oregon, <laughs> yeah. but I cannot authorize a medical marijuana that, card. That's, that's really odd. Come on. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Luckily we still have that ability up here in Washington. Um, oh, okay. Um, we, we still can authorize cannabis, but it's interesting. I mean, on that note, you know, I, I'd like to say that, you know, cannabis is considered in this kind of world too, right? The, the psychedelic medicine world. It's funny. Some some people really, really want it to be included, and mm-hmm. some people really, really don't want it to be included. Um, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> you can, you can, you can kind of. Um, there, there is like a bit, a bit of a. I wouldn't say it's like a strong divide. It's not like a mm-hmm. war or anything. But yeah, and see, the same goes for MDMA. Some people are like, oh yeah, MDMA is not a psychedelic. It's an, you know, empathogen. Uh, Mm-hmm. and intactogen but it's not a it's not a psychedelic in the true sense of the word um but you know these are these are all medicines that that alter our consciousness yeah. right and um cannabis definitely has a dark side um mm-hmm. i will say i will say it's not my favorite for psychospiritual healing for most people mm-hmm. um yeah the way the way that a lot of individuals are using cannabis i actually see it as an as a numbing agent okay. frankly um but not for everyone you know every everyone's wired a little differently um and uh, cannabis can also be a great adjuvant for therapy for mm-hmm. some individuals, you know? Yeah. So I'm really interested to hear your take on ketamine. That one gets a lot of publicity oh, yeah. these days. And we're talking about low dose ketamine. So, right. Um, I just want to be clear that I'm using the term properly. Well, I, what I do with my patients is I do it all kinds of ways. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I kind of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, that the movie Forrest Gump, there's a oh, yeah. part where, where Bubba is talking about all the different ways to, to make <laughs> shrimp, you know? Yes. Like, you can make shrimp scampi, shrimp right. <laughs> And that's ketamine, baby. Like okay. you can snort it. You can inject it in the muscle, under the skin. You can inject it into the vein. You can hold it under your tongue. You can take an oral capsule. You can take it rectally. It's like, would you, could you in a box? Would you, could you with a fox? Wow. There is, there is a route of administration and a dose range for, I don't want to say everyone, but for many, yeah. many people, many, many different ailments. Wow. Why is that? Yeah. Is that just because of, is there something like unique about ketamine that makes, makes it so diverse in its route of delivery? I, it's just, you know, pharmacologically ketamine is, it's, it's not super bioavailable orally, but if okay. you put 300 milligrams in a capsule and swallow it, it'll get you, it'll get you there. Okay. Um, and ketamine is, it's the most popular anesthesia drug worldwide. It's okay. on the WHO's essential medicines list. Hmm. And it has a, it is not without its risks, 
but it overall has a very, very good safety profile. And that's why it's also used in pediatric procedures, both, mm. you know, inpatient and outpatient, including dental procedures. It's used in veterinary medicine. Um, and so, um, you know, if, if you give somebody an, a, a high enough dose, right, they'll, they'll pass out. Um, it causes amnesia and analgesia. And, um, it also causes temporary paralysis, which is really important for surgery. You don't want people kind of wiggling around unconsciously on the table. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the dark sides of ketamine is it is a date rape drug for this mm -hmm. reason. But um, at lower, if you go lower than, than um, you know, your anesthesia dose, ketamine can actually engender a very, very vivid psychedelic trip. Mm. Um, very similar to ayahuasca. Um, in my experience, uh, only it's only about 75 minutes long. Okay. And uh, ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. So it's, it's kind of a weird trip where you don't really feel like you're in your body and uh, it's hard to move. <laughs> it's, called, it's called being in the K-hole. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, ketamine has likewise shown incredible promise for depression. And one of the remarkable things about ketamine for depression is let, let's say I had a patient who was so depressed that they were actually suicidal. Mm -hmm. If I put them on an antidepressant, I would have to wait two to three weeks to see if it was working for them. Right. Ketamine, you know, within a couple of days, sometimes it's within hours that you can abort suicidality mm -hmm. with ketamine at the, at the, you know, at the right dose. And to be clear, you don't have to do it at the psychedelic dose range, but guess what? It works better if you do. <laughs> okay it does it does, does. <laughs> yeah and i've heard it, it lasts like um even up to a week the effect of that session uh -huh. is that is that right i, I mean that That's was right. an old data maybe but I, yeah yes yeah, so about somewhere between five and seven days mm -hmm. yeah. is you know what, I, what i've observed well I, yeah and i think anybody who's been around you know suicidality and you know that kind of the levels it goes to, to break a cycle is such such a key intervention, right? I mean, Huge. because because um, things could change, like um, as far as from that those five to seven days that could right. end up steering someone to not go down that road again. Yes, yes, yeah. I I actually I recently had a colleague who you know the this pandemic has the COVID nineteen pandemic has just been horrific for mental health you know, with, with the way in which we have bullied and shamed one another as individuals have sought out connection and human contact. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, guess what happens in isolation? Every uh, Mental health unravels. Yes. And so, you know, so many people have been suffering uh, during this pandemic. And I, so I had a client who had, um, excuse me, I had a colleague who had a client. This client was so suicidal that um, he referred her to go to the hospital and the hospital you know, they're working with limited staff. They're working with limited beds. They kind of need all hands on deck for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So they sedated this woman and um, restrained her. They tied her arms and legs to the bed mm. and left her for oh 12 goodness. hours. And it's like, oh, well, darn, they could have just given her some ketamine. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. then reassessed. But um, yeah, so and, and you know, slow, slowly, the conventional medical model is 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 seeing the merits of ketamine, and we really have John, the subsidiary of Johnson and Johnson. We have Johnson Pharmaceuticals to thank for a lot of that data. Hmm. 
you know, they, they are making a ton of money as a, as a result of it, but they've, they've, they put millions of dollars into clinical trials on wow. ketamine. Yeah. So before we, we leave ketamine um, for now, uh, it, you could just speak to a little bit about how it works, like what, what's it doing in the brain? Yeah, so, so ketamine works uh, quite a different mechanism from most of the other psychedelics and quite a different mechanism from most of our other antidepressant medications, most of our other psychiatric medications. Um, we don't, let me say this, we know how ketamine works for anesthesia. We don't entirely know how mm. it works for mood issues. Mm -hmm. But what we know from the world of anesthesia is that ketamine strongly affects the NMDA receptor. And that has to do with glutamate levels in the brain. Okay. So by altering glutamate levels, the theory is we have our antidepressant effect there. Mm. Ketamine also increases synaptogenesis in the brain. And it by way of BDNF and mTOR and other pathways, it sort of stimulates the theory as like a domino effect of reactions in the brain. Um, that we have increased neural plasticity. So something I want to say here about ketamine is, you know, if you give someone, you can give ketamine in all kinds of dose ranges. I have people who microdose it daily as an antidepressant. I have people who take kind of a low dose during therapy mm -hmm. um, because that, that dissociation lets them engage in therapy. And then there are individuals who do the really high dose. And when an individual's on a really high dose, they can't talk. They're in a K-hole. They're going to slur their speech and it's going to be annoying for them to talk. Mm -hmm. But if you get that person back into either your office or a psychotherapist's office within within 48 hours, ideally 24 hours of their ketamine treatment, mm -hmm. they've got this beautiful window of increased brain plasticity. Oh, wow. Where you're going to go so far with them in therapy. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so amazing to think about because, mm -hmm. you know, for anybody who's struggled with a mental health um, issue, you know, you kind of have like, you wait for those breakthrough sessions with your counselor where it's like, you finally have that space to make like a, a change. Mm -hmm. Those are so few and far between usually that that's yeah. why there's like a big dropout in counseling, just standard counseling. It's just cause it's like, oh, I don't really think I'm getting anywhere, you know? And right. Right. It's like really interesting to think of, you know, having some assistance of getting to that place where you get to core, make core changes. Yes. But I also can imagine um, that someone who goes through something like this therapy just because I've, I've done different things like I've never done psychedelic medicine before but I've gone I went on a vision quest once um, oh, wow. and I remember like thankfully the the organization I did it with said that when you get back to your community you are going to you're going to have a person to meet with once a week just to kind of downgrade from that experience you had and you know kind of like reintegrate into your your current world because if you just like get dropped off back in the hood where you're from and mm -hmm. you just had this like amazing experience it's like really scary um right to, to kind of you're just different and um i just was wondering if like like so how did do, how does it work like can you kind of explain the model of how this would work and just maybe um you know talk about how that component, like after someone's gone through um, some psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, like how are they reintegrated into their, their life? 
Yeah. Well, as you, as you said, it's ideally, it's not like just a, you know, we drop you off at the corner, have a nice life and you're fixed now. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think this is part of why we see frequent flyers, you know, people who maybe uh, continue to use psychedelics more frequently mm-hmm. than maybe mm-hmm. they really should be uh, mm-hmm. or that is good for them. Um, so, so ideally the psychedelic experience is treated like a catalyst for further healing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said, all of these brain changes that happen in the psychedelic state, so far as we can tell, they're temporary. You know, you take psilocybin within eight hours, you know, you've stopped suppressing your, your um, default mode network and, and the brain crosstalks goes back to how it was, you know, before the, mm-hmm. the, the new neural pathways die or they don't die, but they don't endure. The way that they endure is if you practice, right? It's like a muscle that you build. So this is how incorporating a, a mindfulness practice, a meditation practice, uh, incorporating exercise, engaging in therapy. The other thing that happens during these experiences is data comes up for reconciliation and for processing. Mm-hmm. And you may or may not complete that reconciliation process during your psychedelic trip. Many mm-hmm. people don't, in fact. They kind of just open the box and start the work. Mm. And so, you know, you, it can then be very, very helpful to then take that information and that data from that experience to somebody who specializes in psychedelic integration counseling, or if you can't find such a person, then just a regular yeah. therapist or counselor um, and say, okay, I'm ready to talk about what happened when I was nine. Wow. Or, okay. I'm ready to talk about how I actually perpetuated this cycle of abuse within my family. Uh, I'm I'm ready to look at why I did that to my cousin when we were kids or whatever the thing is, you know? Sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's like the front, um, the prefrontal cortex kind of goes offline, right. With these experiences and, you know, with just for the lay person, you know, that's kind of like a part of your brain that sort of, helps kind of organize and map out um, like sequence and recall and organizing an event or an experience would likely mm. depend a lot on the prefrontal cortex being on, on board. And mm. so it's, it's really interesting to think that like, you know, you can kind of, once you can talk about something um, that means that your prefrontal cortex is, is engaged Right, right. Well, and, and also part of it was, is the default mode network. That default mode network has a lot to do with ego, has a lot to do with the story about who you are. Oh, I'm this kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. Um, and, and that default mode network, it lights up when people like something you post on social media. It's like a greedy little golem. Uh-huh. Um, and so to just get a break <laughs> yeah. from that DMN activity, um, there's a lot that suddenly you can else that you can focus on yeah um you know yeah, and, and we do need our egos right you know the ego tells you it's like oh which which hole do i put the food in right <laughs> you know, <laughs> it keeps you alive but but you know it can also it can also be a little bit of a of a trickster oh you yeah know? Right? that's that's really interesting i i love I, that's a completely new um thing to think about like the dmn for me mm-hmm. um because like that that's just not a network that i've really studied and it's it's fascinating what just to kind of think about how and how much more that adds to the the picture you know right right and i will say it's a relatively new theory in you know mm-hmm. neuropsychiatry so you know maybe in 10 years we'll we'll 
there'll be something that comes out that says the DMN doesn't exist and everyone was wrong. You know, but, yeah, that's, <laughs> but that's, that's life. <laughs> right? That's that's the nature of science, right? Right. It's, yeah. Uh, it's the way it goes. But um, yeah. Well, this has been delightful. I really enjoy speaking with you and hearing and learning. Oh, I took you. I took like pages of notes here, just talking <laughs> with you. <laughs> it was just really fascinating. Um, so I'd love to kind of hear more about what you're up to professionally and how people can follow you or maybe learn from you and any kind yeah. of closing thoughts or or kind of wisdom you could leave us with. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, first and foremost, I want to mention that I have a, if I say so myself, pretty stellar online course <laughs> on psychedelic medicines. Okay. It's called the Science of Psychedelics. So if you go to psych scienceofpsychedelics.com, you'll be able to see the course there. Um, CME is available for physicians as well as CE for other types of healthcare practitioners. Um, and um, I would actually love to offer your listeners a discount. Oh, thank for, you. Um, yeah, for signing up for the course. So I'm putting you on the spot here, Doc, but what would you like your, your coupon code to be? Um, one thing, one thing. Okay. Yeah, like so if you, the, the yeah. word one and the, the end thing. Yeah. So O N E T H I N G. Okay. Yep. Thank so you. one, one thing will, will get you um, wonderful listeners, a, a discount on the course, um, would love it. I definitely put many, many hours into that. And I have, um, modules on all the medicines we just talked about, as well as I also talk about ayahuasca and ibogaine and microdosing. Um, there's an entire module on the psychedelic treatment of addictions mm -hmm. um, and some basics for trip sitting. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's really I mean I gotta say it's really it's really darn good course. <laughs> well, congratulations! <laughs> those yeah. people don't understand how much work those take. <laughs> oh my I, gosh! So I much work. I can't even you know. Yeah. I can't even it's, say. It's, yeah. So. Especially, pardon my interruption. Especially if you wanted approved for CME. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah, <laughs> is the ACCME strict? Holy cow! Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of back and forth there, but but we got approved. And then um, I'll also mention my website, um, just drzelfand.com, um, my name.com, uh, where you can read more of my articles, um, listen to more podcasts. I do consultations with people all over the world through um, online and phone. Um, so, uh, and I obviously cannot, uh, you know, tell you to do anything that is illegal where you are, but, um, you know, harm reduction is important. So, you know, sometimes individuals are, this is a route they want to go down and they're wondering if uh, it's a good idea, the risks and the benefits, which medicine, what dose. Um, things like that. I, I, I love talking to people and healthcare providers all over the world. Excellent. Mm -hmm. um, and any closing thoughts that you want to just share with us about um, what we what we discussed today? Um, I don't know why this is coming up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I might regret this later, but I was, uh, I was recently sitting around with, um, some other practitioners who do this work. I will mention that I'm actually in Mexico right now working with Ibogaine, helping people, um, get off of opiates, uh, um, and other, uh, substances of abuse, uh, and addiction. And uh, so some of the practitioners and I were, were sitting around and we were like, what's the, what's like the best way to tell somebody 
um, to receive a psychedelic experience, you know, mm. and Bill, Bill Richards came out with this whole list called the flight instructions, okay. um, which I highly recommend looking up, you know, um, be curious. We all agreed was very important. Be curious, like no matter mm -hmm. what comes up, like, oh, this is so painful. Be curious about it. Be curious about that pain. Um, and then there was also this one, which was, um, I'm of course blanking on, on where it came from originally, but it was sit down, shut up and listen. <laughs> so, um, so I guess I will, I will leave with that very bizarre parting advice. Those, that, those uh, are like, that, that applies to life that those two right? right there. I mean, we're all on a flight. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Those two principles. I mean, I, I can, uh, I can work on those, you know, and, and yeah. it probably will improve my life and Billy to, to uh to fly and receive right. this life yeah <laughs> cool. so so i think i think uh the most important part of that is be curious just be curious that's awesome wow yeah well yeah. this was really fun thank you for your time and um, oh, good thank luck you on the so course much. it sounds uh just like an amazing course and uh, we will put all the links up to everything that you mentioned and uh -huh. share the um the code with our our user our listeners that sounds great. All right. Well, enjoy Mexico and uh, hopefully we can catch up sometime down the road um, whenever, you know, kind of the, the new thing comes about or new things to learn about. Mm, that sounds wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much, Doc. This is really a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from it. Forward the, the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.